0: Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. get into the word this morning uh we're going to be in john chapter 8 you might remember last week uh we left off at this feast uh, toward the end of the feast, and it was called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, and it was like a big camping trip for Israel. And you know, everybody's pulling up in their big RVs. You know, loaded the donkey all down. They're all you know the roadblocks for miles, and they're all trying to get near the you know the hookups where the water would be. You know, next to the well or you know a spring or something. They're all coming into town. I mean, it's a huge camping trip. You know, a great time. And at this feast, uh, this feast was a a way to remind them of their ancestors' journey through the wilderness. And they would sit around and and, uh, and tell the stories and teach the younger children and remind themselves about God's blessing in their lives. And a few of us uh, were, were actually kind of bantering around thinking, you know, because this happens in October. It would be really cool to either do a one-night deal uh, during this time because they still f- celebrate this feast, and it's part of our her- heritage also. That Maybe we ought to you know, celebrate that next year or something at that time. So remind me as we get to October, and we'll try to figure something out. But it would be a lot of fun to, to pull something together like that. So everybody was at this feast, and, and the big moment came when, where the priest would proceed down to the, bowl, uh, the pool of uh, uh, Siloam and fill up these golden pitchers, these solid gold pitchers with water. And they would bring them all up, and they would have certain songs that they would sing, and it was all about the, the Holy Spirit being poured out onto the people, and, and then everybody would just go dead silent, and the priest would pour out the water on top of the, uh, the temple mount. And, and that signified the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the people that would happen one day, that God would bring. And, and here's actually a, pool, uh, a picture of, of the pool of uh, Siloam. That we actually got to see, uh, they, they'd uncovered this and covered it up several times as they have been excavating. Uh, because literally Jerusalem is built upon the ruins of Jerusalem. And so they're like, they'll be digging a basement or digging something. and All of a sudden they'll find a wall and they're like, okay, what's this? And they start digging in even more and they, they find these steps. And this is literally how this was found. And I think... I want to say 2004, 2003. So here, even in modern day and age, we're still finding uh, biblical places and you know things that where people are going. Oh well, it must be the pool of Bethesda because because you know that's the only pool that we can find. And, and here, you know, in 2004, they found this one. Uh, so it's really cool. All these steps that lead down. Uh, I actually got this picture off the net because my pictures were from a side gate and the guys were standing in front because they didn't want us taking pictures. I don't know why, but they just didn't. Uh, but this is a wonderful place. And this is where, where they would have dipped down those, those pitchers and, and all that. But in the, in the stillness, in the quiet of when they were ready to pour out that water, Christ cries out, screams out, shouts out, however you want to say it. If anyone thirsts, let them come to me to drink. The whole feast was to celebrate this one thing. God helping and providing for his people. And the Lord was right there. God himself, in the form of Jesus Christ, cries out, I can fulfill that request that you have. I can fulfill that song that you've been singing for eons. I can do that. And he does do that. Some of the people just don't quite know what to think. or to, to, you know. Some people were getting it. Other people were just like, dude, what's he doing? What's up with that? So let's pick up the, the story in chapter 2 because the next day it says here, Now early in the morning he came again to, into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. And, and we do it the opposite way. Uh, the, the teachers and the priests would, would actually sit and everybody else would stand. So I think next Sunday I'll just get a chair and you just... Yeah, I don't think that would go over too well. But he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees... Uh, the lawyers and, the, you know, all, the, you know, all the, the upper echelon people, the scribes and the Pharisees, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in, a, in adultery, the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have, an, uh, might have something of which to accuse him. So once again, John paints, uh, paints a picture for us where the leaders come and, and really try to trick Jesus into an answer. And they will try this several different ways over the years. And this was just one more. They, they try to box him into a corner, put him into a corner where, where it's a, a lose-lose situation for him. We always talk about win-win situations, but this was a lose-lose situation from their point of view. It's either this or that, and you're going to lose one way or the other. Now, before we talk about this poor woman and, and the situation, and this is really a poor woman and what she's going through. I mean, a woman who's, who's caught up in acting like the world. And really, she's being used not only by the world, but right now she's even being used by religion and religious people. Uh, they, they really don't care for this woman or the justice that they're, tr- they're trying to, to give out. They know the Mosaic Law. If they did care, number one, they would not have brought her to Jesus. They don't even recognize Jesus as really a rabbi, even though he is one. They just, they, they just kind of shunned him. So they wouldn't have even done that if they, they really cared about the law. But also, she was caught up in an act of adultery. Now, I don't know this from experience, But since she was caught in the very act of adultery, then I would assume that adultery takes two people, right? Yeah, I mean, kind of obvious. Well, according to the Mosaic Law, the man is just as guilty as the woman. Where's the man in the situation? I'm sure the women, I mean, you you guys notice details. You go right to that. For us men, it takes a little while, and we go, oh yeah, there's a man involved, you know. They only bring the woman. They drag the woman there. It was not fair. There was no sense of, where is the guy? Now, another question I had as I started reading this is, where's the woman's husband? Was he there? Was he not there? We don't really know. It is adultery, which means she was a married woman. So they caught her, you know, this obviously was a setup. How else are they going to catch her in this way? But really what they were doing, they were trying to set up Jesus. They were just using her. And this is a setup. Hey, Jesus, if you agree with the Mosaic Law, then here's the stones all around us. We we keep a pile around just in case we need to stone somebody. Right now, if if you really believe the law, she violated the law of Moses, let's get to it. See, if Jesus agrees with them, all the relationships that he's built with the anti-religious establishment those that looked at the the temple, those that looked at at the high priest that were so corrupt and said that's not the God that I want to know that's not the God that I want to go toward and they're sitting there going that's corruption, I don't agree with that and Jesus comes along and says there's a better way to get to God and he's saying come through me, if you thirst I can fill you up, if you hunger let me feed you, let me do all these things for you there's another way here so if he agrees with them and picks up the stone and ready to stone her he loses all of them it's a no-win situation you know jesus was really hanging around some seedy people some people who needed him and that was a great thing so they were trying to put this wedge in between those groups jesus and the people that he loves so much come on jesus are you going to come down on the right side, or are you going to come down on the wrong side here? Are you, are you just going to try to be popular? Are you just going to go with the crowd? But on the other hand, if he says, don't stone her, let's show her some grace here, let's, let's forgive her, then he'll look really soft on the law. And he came to fulfill the law. So for all those people sitting there looking for the Messiah, the one that's going to fulfill the law... They would look at Jesus and go, no, that's not the Messiah. That's not the Christ. The sad part about all this is the heartlessness of these guys. I mean, this woman is ashamed. Drug along to the rabbi. Obviously embarrassed. May or may not have clothes on at this point. We don't know. Hopefully they, you know, put something over her. I mean, they they did bring her up to the Temple Mount area. It's a very awful and ugly situation here. And there's no concern for this woman. The law is supposed to protect, even protect the guilty until they're found guilty. That's even what our laws are based on here in America. It's supposed to protect, and they seem to not care. There seems to be a sense of personal holiness. Look at her. I'm much better than her. I'm not like her. Look at her this is so hypocritical and Jesus is really about to point it out verse 6 he goes on and says but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear now the scriptures tell us that Jesus is an advocate and the word advocate means lawyer and there was other guys you know several men around that were probably lawyer or legal guys and and, and you can imagine the scene here because because you know we we keep thinking when we read this story we think okay there's several men and this woman and Jesus maybe a couple other people no he's teaching there's a crowd around so Jesus kind of stoops down and he starts writing did they did they all push in did they you know were they craning to the see were they trying to get over each other to kind of see what is he writing and and all that so i mean this is causing a scene on the temple mount area so Jesus pauses and really just kind of ignores them And he begins to write something on the ground. And I'm sure this just totally irritated them even more. I mean, mean, when somebody ignores you and just totally just does something and you're sitting there going, hello, did you not just hear? Hey, 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 stop. Look my way. Look at me. You know, we treat them like a child. And it says, no, no, no. Look at me. Do you understand? So Jesus is totally ignoring them, irritating them. Or, Or maybe they're thinking, Man, we must really got him stumped. He's, he's you know, kind of needing some time to think through this. Oh, he must really be stumped. But really what he's doing is writing something in the dirt. We don't know if he wrote it in big letters or if he, he wrote it really small just so that they could really see, you know, the, those that were standing right there. But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And this kind of drives me absolutely crazy. I want to know what he, what he wrote, don't you? I would love to know what he wrote. Because it has an immediate effect on them. Look at what happens. It says, But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. And, you know, not a stick of finger. This is almost like Old Testament, finger of God type of thing. So, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, I kind of said that with an attitude, and it's not really, this is a term of, this is like in the South when you say ma'am. You know, I came out to California and I say ma'am, and people look at you like, Don't call me ma'am. So it's not like that. This This is a respectful term. He says, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, my Lord. No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I continue. Go and sin no more. Well, this is one of the most beautiful verses in the Scripture. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is so contradictory. This is so the opposite of the ugly scene that's playing out here. And religion has done some ugly things. And this is one of those ugly things. At the end of this beautiful festival, these men just can't stand it. They're going to get the sin out of their community. And they're going to do it in such an ugly way. And Jesus so beautifully turns this thing, this ugly thing. Let's see how he does it. I mean, the woman is thrown at his feet. Guilty is sin. There's no ifs, ands, or buts here. She is guilty. She's caught in the very act. Doesn't even deny it. And they just threw her at him, just on the ground. Jesus, the law says. What do you say, huh? I mean, the law says. Come on. Come on, Jesus. They're trying to provoke him into some sort of reaction. But Jesus is not really going to be backed into a corner, and he's, he's not going to allow her to be hurt in this fashion, which amazes me. Because any good upstanding citizen would go, Yeah, what well, she's doing, that, that, that's not good. I mean, that's obvious. So we would all kind of have that feeling of, This is not good. But at the same time, he's sitting there going, That's a child. Yeah, it's a woman, but it's a child, a child of mine, human that I love. He's not going to allow her to be hurt. So he lowers himself down, and he starts to write. And they're sitting there demanding a ruling. I wonder if he grabbed a rock when he was down there after, after he rode on the ground, and he stood back up, and he goes, Hey, you guys are right. According to the Mosaic law, she deserves death. You know, he's bouncing the rock in his hand. Here you go, guys. Who's going to be first? You guys are obviously experts in the Mosaic law. And according to the book of Leviticus, the innocent person gets to throw the first stone. So let's just do it right now. We have a group of men here. Who wants to throw the first stone? So surely you're ready. Obviously you're righteous men. Come on, guys. I wonder if her husband was in the group. I'll do it. She shamed me. What would Jesus have written down? Maybe he wrote something down that, you know, there's always two sides of the story. Maybe he's the one that drove her to do this. I I don't know. There's always two sides to a situation. Or maybe one of the guys who, who set her up. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, you mean it was a setup? Oh, that would be a sin. You can't throw it. Jesus stoops down and he writes something down on the ground. You know what he wrote? I'll tell you what he wrote. I have no idea what he wrote. But there are books out there that you can read that will tell you what he wrote. Whole chapter's written about it. But since we don't know what he wrote then, let's throw out a couple of those, uh, you know, ideas. Because when I get to heaven, I want to ask her and she'll probably say, I'm not going to tell you. Maybe he wrote something about her. Maybe he wrote something about the Old Testament law and how grace gets coupled with the law. See, law is never supposed to be administered without grace. And I think for legalistic people, sometimes we get caught up on on, it's all about the rules and we leave out the grace. Because if law is administered without grace, yikes, I mean, we're all toast. We should be just nuked. Squished like bugs, however you want to say it. Every one of us. If the law is administered without grace, then that's how it should be done. You know, they didn't just bring a sinner. They just didn't bring somebody to, 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 you know, just say, you need Jesus, you are corrupt. You deal with him, Jesus. I mean, you want a sinner, Jesus, let's talk about my neighbors. You want a sinner, Let, let's look in the dictionary, because the guy I'm thinking about, I'm sure his picture is right there next to the word sinner. If you want a sinner, Jesus, I can bring you somebody. But Jesus turns the whole thing around, doesn't he? Maybe he just writes down the guy's names. He who is without sin, and he has a list. Okay, no one's there. He who is with sin, okay, he starts the list, and he writes the guys down. Moshe, let's start with your name, Moshe. Here's your stone. And Moshe is like, got to go, guys. And he just kind of walks off. Okay, who's next? Ebenezer. And he writes down the word Ebenezer. Well, who's next? And they just start slowly going away. And You know, I can imagine one of the guys, I'm not a sinner. Okay, well, then let's write your sin right next to your name. You see the point? I don't know what he wrote, but whatever it was, it stopped these guys right in their tracks. And he got the focus off of her and onto them. And they just all leave. And Jesus stands and says something very beautiful. He says, Where are your accusers? Now, what is interesting is this the only one who had the right to throw the stone, was standing right before her. He was the one that was left. He was the righteous man, and she didn't even realize that this righteous man is standing right in front of her, and he could have thrown the stone. He had every right by the law to do that. According to his own law, I I bet she was just focused on, I don't know how I got out of this, but I'm not going to die today. Because they stoned people for this stuff back then. They took out capital punishment. The Romans allowed the Jews to do this. It was a way of controlling the Jews. We'll let them do this every so often. As long as they don't go after Roman citizens, as long as they don't cause a big riot, we'll allow them to administer their own laws. You know, I'm sure she's sitting here thinking, how did this happen? See, one day later, she would stand before Jesus again, and he would judge her again. And if she had obeyed what the Lord said, then she would stand before him again, and she would see that grace and mercy she saw right here and now. And she doesn't even realize that he's the only one that could have saved her. And what does he say to her? Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, my Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. These are some words that she would remember forever, I bet. Do you, do you have like certain memories that it's like you can remember exactly what so-and-so said to you one time, uh, you know, maybe it's a childhood memory or maybe it's adult memory, memory that ever so often you're just struck by it and go, wow, I can't believe they said that. I remember exactly what they said. Or I remember how this person treated me. This is a, the type of situation she's in. I don't cont- I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't cont- uh, condemn you. Now stop sinning. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. He takes all of his law and he wraps it in grace and he administers both. He doesn't condone what she's doing. He doesn't say, oh, no big deal. Hey, hey, you know, this is the New Testament. It's all about grace. He doesn't do that. Don't worry about the whole adultery thing. Just don't worry about it. See, God hasn't changed. He did, you know, he... He's not like it's, it's not like it's New Testament time and he doesn't get upset with sin anymore. No, he's the same God. It's not like he doesn't think that sin is bad anymore. No, Jesus cannot stand sin. He is the holy God in human flesh. And an adulterous woman is standing right before him and he looks her in the eyes and he says, I don't condemn, you know, I don't condemn you, but knock it off okay we we love the saying you know we like go and sin no more don't we but what he says is knock it off stop doing that straighten up but he says in such a cool way see when the world says knock it off we resist don't we and when the church says knock it off we resist when the pastor says knock it off we resist oh what does he know this is the year two thousands. things are more tolerated now But when Jesus says, I'm not condemning you, but knock it off, there's something about the Holy Spirit. There's something about Jesus telling you to knock something off. This is so beautiful and so right at the same time that we begin to listen. And we go, you know what? I think Jesus is speaking to me right now. And and for some reason, I don't feel condemned. Even though I know what it it, it, I'm doing is wrong, I don't feel completely condemned by it, but I feel the Holy Spirit telling me, I need to stop this. I need to knock it off. What we need to realize is that they're in a company of people who are just like this woman. How many of you today, and don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but think about this. How many of you are today are just like this woman? I mean, our reaction would be, <laughs> I'm not an adulteress. I mean, that, it would, it, wouldn't you think that? But I'm talking about sin. We're all in the company of this woman. We all have sin that the, that the Holy Spirit has to say, Man, Alan, you, you need to... That right there, that's ugly for me. You need to knock that off. Now insert your name in there. So-and-so. That right there, what you're doing, that's ugly to me. I don't, I don't want to condemn you. I don't condemn you for that, but knock it off. Just because this woman is the only one exposed, literally and figuratively, and ashamed doesn't mean she's the only sinner in the group and Jesus says no sin throw the first stone and they all just kind of walked away now wouldn't it be sad that after hearing the story you just walked away that after admitting that you also have sin you leave and what do you leave with you leave with guilt because you don't see yourself as being that bad I talk with plenty of people who say I don't see myself as being that bad of a person. I've never killed anybody. Like if that was the criteria, I mean wouldn't that be awesome? Well, I've never killed anybody, so hey, I'm good, I'm golden. I'm I'm you know, it's sweet. I haven't killed anybody. So I'm okay. As long as I haven't killed anybody, I get to go to heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the criteria? Do anything else, just don't kill somebody. Or, you know, I'm a good person. I keep the the Ten Commandments, a great question, and and well, depending on how bold you are and how much you want the Lord to knock you upside the head, a great question right after somebody says, well, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments, is, well, could you tell me the Ten Commandments? You know, and they'd be like, um, well, don't kill, don't, um, oh, don't lie, I don't lie. You know, they would just kind of hodgepodge it all together. What we we're doing is the same thing as these guys who brought this woman. As long as there's somebody who's more sinful than I, then I'm a good person. And the Lord just kind of bends down and starts riding on the dirt. And when he does that, he levels the playing field. Now, now remember the setting. Jesus is teaching. There was a crowd around. And that crowd probably got bigger as this was going on. And they interrupted him in the middle of his teaching. And he picks up in verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. How good are you at memorizing Scripture? You need to write this one down. Put it on your mirror, put it on you know, your front door as you leave, put it on your, your, you know, your, your steering column or you know, somewhere on your dash, preferably not over the speed limit uh, speedometer area. But this is a great verse to memorize. And the reason I didn't stop at verse 11 is, is how important verse 12 is to the story. The woman is most likely still there. And these guys are probably not very far off. They probably shrunk to the back of the crowd. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, adultery is done in darkness. Most sin is done in darkness, right? We like to hide those things. We don't want the world to see us in all our sinfulness. When we call ourselves a Christian, when we're of the world, we don't care. Um, It doesn't matter. But, well, some things don't matter, but other things the world would hide too. But when we're a Christian, we we don't want to show people our sin. Because we want people to see us in a different light. I can hide it. As long as the light doesn't hit it, I'm okay. I am the light of the world. And Jesus says this about bread. You know, I am the bread. I am the water. And, And later he'll say, I am the door. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. He's defining who he is to the world. But here he says, I am the light of the world. So we start beginning to, to start thinking about light. And, and light has different properties. And even in this century, they found out that, you know, light can even carry information. And, you know, how light can actually be bent. It's, it's so weird. All the different properties more. So if you're studying, you know, if you're into studying more, then then study light. And I think if you you study light and start correlating about how Jesus matches, you know, he says, I am the light of the world. How that, you know, you could see properties of, of Christ in a sense in that. But what does light really do? It reveals. At night when you're scared or when it's dark or noise happens, what do you normally do? Turn on the light. You feel much better. We we kind of replace the lights out here. I can't tell you how many comments I get about, man, I feel so much better around here at night. Why? Because you don't feel, I mean there's light. You're, you're not covered in darkness. It's a good thing. Light is security sometimes. Now, if Jesus is the light of the world, how powerful is that light? It's enough to reveal everything. That's why some people just completely avoid church. And this is why some of us are even avoided. As we bring that light into the world, they're like, oh, there, there's that Christian. And they, they, you know, they turn down the different aisle in the grocery store. People may not like being around you if you bring that light. Why? Because without you knowing, the light of Christ comes out of you and reveals things to them. And they don't like what it reveals. They feel that guilt. And it's not that you bring it. It's like the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to find something different. You need, to, you need to find the light because what you're doing is darkness. So we have to be careful with that light sometimes that we don't actually hurt somebody with that light. It's like a laser light. You know, the laser pointers? You don't want to put that light in somebody's eye. Why? Because it would burn their eye out. It would hurt them medically, you know, Physically the same thing with Christ sometimes we can use that light in a, in a negative way so we have got to be careful how we use the light use it in the right way but when you bring light into darkness it chases darkness out the darkness has to go somewhere because light cannot be quenched light cannot be you know overcome he says i am the light of the world he who follows me shall walk in darkness this is really cool because on one hand we see a promise In another hand, we see a command here. You get a promise and a command out of the same verse. The command is, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Very straightforward. And this is what really the the law of God is all about. If you want to follow me, stop walking in darkness. Just like I told this woman. Stop it right now. All sin, Stop that sin. Whatever you're doing, stop it. Because that is darkness. So if you walk in me, you shall not walk in darkness. You should stop doing those things. See, religion tells you, stop sinning, and it gives you no power whatsoever. No power to be able to handle that. That's what religion does. And it's sad. They say, stop it, knock it off. But Jesus comes along and says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. See, the promise is the other part. He who follows me, well, you know, when we follow him, what, what do we get later on? What does he give them later on to be able to follow him? His spirit, his Holy Spirit. Just like the priest that poured out the water, that Holy Spirit has poured out on us. We have something. We have the ability to be able to deal with this. We have the ability to be able to, to handle sin, to, to slowly over time bring more light into our life. But without the Holy Spirit, that's so much harder to do. Without the Spirit, it's all based on religion. But with the Spirit comes power. A power that helps us. A power that gives us strength and and ability to, to walk in light. See, for some of us today, it's Jesus saying, I don't condemn you, but knock it off. I mean knock it off I don't condemn you but stop it how many of you is he talking to okay don't raise your hands because then we'll start all these rumors going around you know that activity that's in your life that's sinful stop justifying it because if you justify it, you're just like these guys that dragged the adulterous woman up to the temple, which is which is not a, I mean, it was the Gentile area—but still, sinful people couldn't even go up there. Jesus was probably actually teaching on the temple steps, because because heaven forbid the the guys actually break the law and bring her into the temple area, the temple mount. But he's probably right there in front on the on the southern steps, where oftentimes rabbis would go and teach. But the promise is, if you follow him, he is the light of the world. Your path will never be in darkness as long as you stick close to Jesus. And that is what's really cool. As long as we stay close to Jesus, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect because we can't be perfect. But it means that as we mature, as we we move along in this life, as, as we grow older in age, as we grow older in Christ, as in that maturing process, as we become more like Christ, we get closer and closer and closer to them. You know, it's so funny, good friends, even husbands and wives a lot of times, the more you like a person, the more you become like that person. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed a friend either copying you or you're copying a friend, your actions, your, your demeanor, the way you laugh? You tend to go toward people you like. That's why people are all, you know, youth groups growing up in the 80s, it was all, you know, oh, clicks are bad, clicks, oh, we got to click, we got to click. No, you know what it is? People that that are like-minded people, that that are like personalities, they tend to stick together. Now, it can become bad, but it's not necessarily a bad thing for those people to to stick together. And and that's how Jesus is saying, as you become more like me, you'll start acting like me. And then the closer you are to me, you'll be in light. And the further away you get from me you'll be in darkness it's fun putting up the christmas lights this year it's a lot of fun i love going out and looking at the lights and you get them all up and and the first thing you do is you're like hey honey come on out you you got to see my lights and you stand back and you're all like proud but i notice one thing as you get further and further back away from the house you're no longer in that light's shadow the closer you get, there's a shadow on the ground. The closer I am to Christ, the more I'm in his light, the more I'm going to copy him, the more I'm going to be like him. The further away I get, the more I'm in darkness. We need to go toward Christ. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That is such a cool verse. That is such a cool verse. The light of life. You want joy in your life? You know we have all the these things Jesus is the reason for the season and, and all these things Christmas is a great time to concentrate on joy it's a great time of, of concentrating on on Christ and, and and bringing that to the world and you know we can we can rail we can get upset you know how it's all been commercialized and all these things and, and you know all that kind of stuff but it's a great time to bring joy into the world you want more joy in your life walk toward Christ you want more joy in your life walk toward the light You want more joy in your life? He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Man, if nothing else encourages you today, that right there should. If you take nothing else, know that he is the light of the world. Not the light of the church. The light of the world. And if we follow him, we'll be in that light. We'll not walk in darkness, and we'll have the light of life. It's eternal life right there, the light of life. If that doesn't encourage you, I I don't know what will this season. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you allow your light to shine out in our lives, that you allow that light to point out the the negativity, you allow that light to point out the sin that's in our life, and that we not go and try to hide in a corner and, and hide that sin. But we stop it. You give us a promise. You say, I don't condemn you. And I thank you for that, Lord. Because there's things in my life, there's things in our lives that, you know, that, that warrant condemnation. But you say, I don't, contend- I don't condemn you. But go and sin no more. You tell us to knock it off. And I thank you that you gave us the power, the ability, through your Holy Spirit to knock it off. And if we just pay attention to you, if we walk in your light then you'll help us actually knock it off. You don't leave us out there hanging, and we thank you for that, Lord. I pray that our lives don't reflect darkness, that we reflect light, that we hang around with you enough that people look at us and they they see how we act like you, because we become more like you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you with the light of life that this season really be about who he is and about you lifting him up for others to see. May his face never turn from you. May darkness never overwhelm you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.